Thank you, Ben. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for um, this morning. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to gather uh, around your word. Um, and we pray that uh, you might speak to us. You might show us more of what it looks like um, to follow you, both as individuals and as a community that you have sent your son for. And so we thank you, Lord, that you speak to these issues. We pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Would you take just a moment right where you're seated um, to ask the Lord to speak to you from his word today? Father, thank you for your faithfulness to speak to us. We pray that you would show us more of yourself, that we would follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it is good to be together. Welcome uh, to White Rock Fellowship. As Hayden said, uh, we're grateful that you're here uh, worshiping the Lord today. And if you're visiting with us, we're really, really glad you're here. I want to give you a special welcome. And it's always a great joy to celebrate baptism. Uh, and it's so fun to uh, see our students uh, trusting the Lord and, and walking with Him and, and wanting to st- take that step of obedience. So praise the Lord for Thomas and so excited for you guys and your family. Uh, it is, yeah, great to be together. And uh, as we continue in this uh, series that we've been in now for a while, in the book of Romans. Uh, I was reminded of, of right before, a few months before I uh, went to Baylor University as a freshman, before I enrolled and was about to start, uh, it was national news. The New York Times ran an article that Baylor had lifted its 151-year ban on dancing on campus. All right, right? Yeah, so now you can dance on your way to campus. I don't know why you're walking to class. I don't know. I'm not sure how many people dance on campus, but they had a ban for 151 years on dancing. And, and, you know, when Baylor was founded around that time, dancing was kind of seen as something that was sort of, you know, didn't really lead to anything good. You know, it was kind of people of disrepute and places of disrepute. It was not prudent to dance. So they decided no dancing. We're going to ban dancing for our students. And it took 151 years to lift that ban. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of like, what took so long, right? And yet at some point, 151 years into it, the president said, I think there's enough Christian liberty here that we can say you can dance on campus. And so they created it. They had a dance and he wore a tux and his wife wore a ball gown and they had a big dance on campus and it took national news. Again, bizarre. And we go, why why did that take so long? Why did it take so long to, to lift something that seems to us so silly or trivial, The reality is that within Christian community, Baylor being a Christian school was trying to honor Christian community. Within Christian community, one of the things that causes division more often than not is actually issues of conscience. Issues of conscience that that might lead someone to limit themselves or might lead for liberties. And in this case, it was dancing. They felt like they needed to, to focus on the unity of the community and they're willing to limit themselves for that sake. Now, Paul, throughout all the book of Romans, has been talking about unity. This is something that's significantly important to him as he's talking it to the church. Even if we go all the way back to the beginning of Romans, I mean, the first three chapters talk about how we are unified in something, and that unif- what we're unified in is our need for a Savior. No matter if we're religious or irreligious, no matter if we're a rule follower or not, no matter if we're Jewish or Gentile, we need equally a Savior. The ground at the cross is equal. 
So we have a unified need. And then he goes on as he's continuing in Romans. He talks about how we have a unified salvation in Jesus. It is only by Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection that we are saved. It is the only way. We're unified in our salvation. And so then as he, he goes into the last part of this book, one of the things he's talking over and over again is what does it look like to live now as a unified community? As a community that is unified in our need, unified in our salvation, and now unified in particular for, the, for Rome in the first century, Jewish and Roman Gentile believers in the same community, in the same church. And as we talked about last week, what were they arguing about? They were arguing about uh, celebrating certain days. You know, there were Jewish holidays that they celebrated. And, and so they were, people were saying, I'm celebrating this day as a way of worship to the Lord. And then, and then the Roman Gentiles were saying, I celebrate every day as a part of worship to the Lord. I, I didn't grow up that way. I don't celebrate that day. And then the, the Jewish believers were saying, hey, we don't eat meat because it could have been sacrificed to idols. And then the Gentile Christians are like, we can eat anything we want. We can eat meat. We're free to eat meat. This, this is a matter. And so there's this divide happening over holidays and eating meat. And I don't know about you, but if only that was what we were dividing over today, right? But the reality is these issues, these matters of conscience and matters of conviction have a strong tendency to divide communities. It may have been that primary beliefs or primary matters of obedience and disobedience would have divided them, but it was actually these matters that divided the church. And so Paul spoke to it clearly. Now, as we think about this outside of the first century and now coming back to where we are, how do we navigate matters of conscience? How do we navigate what, what freedom we might have in Christ and some people who will choose to limit themselves and some people who will choose to walk in liberty? And so I want to walk through this, and I've done this before, and, and, uh, but it's, a, it's been a really helpful guide uh, for me, a mentor of mine gave me years ago, is that there's these categories for faith in life as we think through these kinds of matters. And, and the categories are, are simply, uh, one, there's absolutes, then there's convictions, there's opinions, and there's preferences. Now let me walk through that. So there's absolutes, clearly given from the Lord on what we should and shouldn't do. These things are not up for debate. Uh, what God has called disobedience or sin is disobedience and sin. What God has called virtues are virtues from the Lord. And so this passage, this whole chapter is not arguing over whether adultery or envy or pride or, or sexuality outside of God's design is a sin or is good for someone to do. That's not what this passage is arguing about. This, and some, if we're honest, some of us, we want to take absolutes and we want to go, oh, I kind of just wish they were a little grayer. I kind of just wish I could kind of soften those a little bit. But these are absolutes. They're clear from the scriptures. And so we must be clear on the absolutes. We're not relativists. And so in fact, notice in Romans, what this debate is about is not about the moral law. It's about the ceremonial law. And so these are absolutes. This is that category of, oh, as we think about life and faith. But then we get to these other three categories, convictions, opinions, and preferences. And convictions are um, convictions by the Holy Spirit. We hold these deeply. These are areas where the scripture is not as clear, not as black and white on, where we have prayed, prayerfully have sought the Lord, and the Spirit has led us to a conviction in a certain matter. And these can differ among believers. So we might have one conviction just like them. This is how they honor the Lord. 
This is how they honor the Lord. The exact opposite, but their convictions. And then as we keep going down, there's opinions, which maybe are not quite in the same level or the depth of conviction. Uh, but it is something we've thought through, and this is how we choose to live our life. And we've made it this, you know, um, very educated opinion. And then we get down to preferences, which is kind of like, you know, I don't know. I like uh, carpet better than stained concrete. You know, I, I like this song over that song. Uh, that might change next week, but right now it's my preference. And so it's helpful for us to recognize where do these things fit? As so something comes up, does it fit in the realm of absolute? Clear, the scripture is spoken on it. We know what it says. Or is it in the realm of conviction where someone might have a different conviction than someone else? Or is it an opinion or a preference? And what I've found so often is that Christians then and now often divide over convictions, opinions, and preferences rather than on absolutes. And so this chapter is how we live in a community where we have different convictions. The things that God has placed in our hearts, where we're fully convinced in our relationship with the Lord that we are supposed to live this way, how do we live with those convictions even though they may differ? And so I read, we read the first part, Ben read the first part there from last week, but as we start today, this is what it says. Paul says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. So he says, no longer judge, or maybe another way we might put it is make a ruling. Set down a ruling on, on someone else's heart. What's, what's going on behind that conviction? And so this can go one of two ways. Sometimes we will look with somebody who maybe has more liberty. And go, man, that person, they really are not taking serious the relationship with the Lord. Right? They're, they're, I mean, they're kind of living whatever they want. They're loose living, sort of licentious, meaning like taking too much license. And we can sort of judge that person and be like, they really don't take faith very seriously. And then the other extreme is we can, we can judge this person who, who's more limited and be like, that person just does not get Christian freedom. You know, that person, you know, they might be a legalist, right? And we can judge either way. Now, is it possible that this person over here who has liberties is actually not really prayerful about that and is really sort of doing that out of foolishness? Yes, it's possible, right? And is it possible that this person over here is, is saying, you know what, I'm limited, and they're doing that out of fear, and they're really trying to be a legalist, which is they're trying to earn God's favor? Yes, it's possible. But what Paul says is that as we are living in the community of God and our tendency so quick is to judge someone else's motives, that we step back and say, we're not going to judge that. Recognizing that what he said and what we heard in the reading and what Jared said last week, that each of us is called to make a decision and be fully convinced in our own hearts of our convictions. So if they are, we just say, okay, that's your conviction in this area. And we're trusting that you're trying to walk with the Lord and try to create that conviction. And so instead of judging which we have a tendency to do all the time. He says, don't do it any longer. They're already doing it. Instead of judging, he says, what do we do? We do not put a stumbling block in front of your brother or sister. We sacrifice for the sake of others within the Christian community. A stumbling block, this word is uh, the word scandalon. It's the word from which we get our word scandalous. So don't take something that is good, Christian liberty, and make it a scandal because you're causing someone else to wonder about their faith. And so he goes on, verse 14. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, 
but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whomever, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, notice what Paul does here. Paul himself is convinced that he can eat any kind of meat. He is convinced that he has liberty in this. He recognizes that with his own Christian faith, that he can eat what he wants and he's free to do that. But he does not hold that over others. And in fact, what does he do with his liberty? This might surprise us. He doesn't try to convince them that they should also eat meat. He doesn't say, oh, you know what? Just live and let it live. Like it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks. You live, you be yourself. Be your fully authentic self with no regard what other people think about it. He's not taking this approach of sort of this individual expressionism that I have to express myself no matter what other people think, which is the world we live in. Paul instead says, I limit myself for the sake of my brother or sister so that I do not cause a stumbling block. He says, if, if you're doing this, you're not walking in love. And so if we were to turn that to the positive, what Paul is saying within the context of community, he was saying, walk in sacrificial love. Walk in love. And if love is anything, it is sacrifice. It's being willing to lay down our own freedoms for the sake of others. Look what he says. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And so the first thing I want us to see as we see about this Christian community is that we walk in sacrificial love. This is how we approach living in this community. We sacrifice for our brother or for our sister. And so you say to Paul, well, Paul, you're not being your authentic self because you're eating meat with some people, but you're not eating that meat with those people. And you're not individually expressing yourself. Paul says, yep, I'm not. I'm sacrificing myself for the sake of others, for their faith and for their good. And so Paul says, we do what is most important. We are seeking after unity. The unity in the body matters. Now, I was on staff at our church in Austin for eight years, and I've told you about this before, before I came here, and uh, we had a a phenomenal time there on staff, and I was on staff at this church where we had this thing called a joy lunch once a month. And the joy lunch uh, was the senior citizens lunch for people who were retired. We had it once a month on a Wednesday afternoon at lunch, and it was a potluck. We'd bring in fried chicken, and they bring in food, and everyone would dress to the nines and come uh, to this meeting. And joy stood for just older youth. So that's where the, that's what this was. Um, and one time, the, the college pastor, he came in uh, from serving on campus at UT uh, in shorts and a t-shirt. And as he came in, th- there was a few people who were really offended by this. They were like, oh, well, the pastor is wearing shorts and a t-shirt. And, he, and he's not really bringing his best to the Lord. And when he's coming, he's a pastor. He, shouldn't be, he should be wearing his best as he's serving the Lord and he's coming to be with us. And so people were really offended by this. And I can see and hear all of us sort of rolling our eyes about this, right? You're serving at UT Austin in 100-degree weather, okay? Like, you can wear shorts and a T-shirt to serve the kids. But this was a stumbling block 
to some of these people in the joy lunch. They were like, ooh, this real, I struggle with this. And so what did he do? He said, for the sake of unity, when I come to joy lunch, I will wear pants and a button down, even if it's 100 degrees outside. And he said, I will serve them by sacrificing my own limits. Now, did he still wear shorts and a t-shirt to serve at UT? Of course, because it was for that community. But with this community, he limited himself. Why? Because that's what we do when we walk in love. We sacrifice even our liberties. We walk in sacrificial love. Now, what Paul is saying is that those of us who have greater liberty in a certain area, we are willing to sacrifice that for those who might be more limited. It's not a violation of our conviction to actually limit ourselves for the sake of others. That's what Paul is saying. Now, he says this beautiful statement that kind of sums it all up in verse 17. He says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God, what matters, is not a matter of personal conviction, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He says, don't make the secondary benefit a main thing. Don't make the secondary benefit of freedom that we have in Christ the main thing. Do we love our freedoms more than our fellow believers? How important is unity? Paul's saying it's really important. And so another way to say this is that Instead, we pursue the values of the kingdom. In this case, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we pursue the values of the kingdom. Now, the freedom we have in Christ is not primary in the kingdom of God. So that doesn't mean, again, that convictions are bad. He wants us to have convictions and to be firmly set in them. But we are not to judge someone else's convictions and lay down a ruling on that or despise them because the kingdom of God is not about limits or or liberties. It's not about drinking or eating, he says. And we might say, okay, the kingdom of God is, it's, it's not drinking alcohol or abstaining from alcohol. The kingdom of God is not a spending the money a certain way or, spend, or spending a, not spending the money a certain way. The kingdom of God is not Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy, or none of the above. The kingdom of God is not public school, private school, or uh, homeschool, or any hybrid we could come up with. The kingdom of God is not when, if ever, kids should get a phone or have social media or go on a date or go out in public, right? It's, that's not that. The kingdom of God is not personal convictions of, uh, of how we respond and live with and act with people who might have different views than us. The kingdom of God is not wearing something specific. The kingdom of God is not how we worship or how we don't worship with maybe it's raising hands or not raising hands. That's not the kingdom of God. And so here's the tension in all of this. The tension is we are called to be firmly convinced in our mind of our convictions. We pray, we seek the Lord, we know what our convictions are. And as we do that, we're firmly convinced, he says. Paul says, I want you to be firmly convinced of your convictions. But then don't judge others or don't necessarily put those on someone else. This is kind of a tension here. If I'm firmly, firmly convinced of my conviction, well, then I'm going to want to tell you about that. But what Paul's saying is this tension of we live in this firmly convinced with the Lord of our, of our convictions and yet not judging others. So how do we do that? How do we live in that tension? Well, I think Paul says it. He says, rather, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is what we seek. We seek after something greater. 
We seek after righteousness. Just remembering that righteousness is clearly not off the table here. Remember, this is not, he's not arguing about matters of righteousness. He's not arguing over matters of absolute obedience or disobedience. The absolutes that God has called us to are absolutely significant and essential in the kingdom of God. We are a people set apart by the righteousness of Christ. The kingdom of God is righteousness. And so we seek to live a righteous life. We are declared righteous as we have seen in Romans. And now we seek to live a righteous life based upon what we've been told in the scriptures. And so we care about what's right. We hold fast to what is good, Paul says in Romans 12. But also, not only righteousness, but also peace. We seek peace with one another. In this context, it means giving people freedom to have a different conviction on matters that are more gray. That we sacrifice for others. We want to do what we can do to not be a stumbling block to one another. And and he says, verse 19, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We hold both of these intentions at the same time, righteousness of God and living in peace. And then lastly, he says, it's not only righteousness and peace, but it is joy in the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit has given you a conviction on something, one way or the other, in limit or in liberty, walk in joy, he says. So if, let's say God has called you to abstain from something. Don't walk around pouting, being like, everyone else can do this, but I can't do it. So walk in joy with the Holy Spirit that God has given you a conviction and you are faithful in it. Or the opposite is true. If, if God has given you a sense of freedom, but yet other people around you do not have that freedom in this realm, then don't walk around going, oh, I'm so worried. Maybe I didn't get it right. Oh, I shouldn't doubt. No, we walk with joy in the Holy Spirit. All of this assumes a vibrant relationship with God, with the Holy Spirit. A submission of all things to him that says, God, how do you want me to live this way? How do you want me to respond to this issue? These things that come up, Lord, how do you want me to do it? In fact, Paul says that again. He clearly says in verse 22. Look with me there. It says, The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Again, here's what I think Paul's saying. He said it last week. We're saying it. I've already been saying it. But I think what he's saying is have prayerful convictions. Have strong convictions. But what does he say? Have that between you and the Lord. We lean into this. These convictions don't need to be laid on other people. And wherever you land on these issues with the Holy Spirit, keep that between yourself and God. Don't flaunt them, especially in a way of trying to get others to approve you. But also, if you have doubts, he says, stay limited. Let's say, for example, we'll use the example of meat because it's probably safe. You think the best way to honor God is not to eat meat. But you're not sure because you keep going to our community group meeting and they keep barbecuing meat and it smells really good. Like, well, what do I do? I, I, I'm pretty sure God doesn't want me to eat meat, but we're eat, the community group's eating a lot of meat. What do you say? If you doubt, limit yourself. That is, follow the conviction. Don't allow other people's convictions, either limited or liberties, to cause you to change your conviction. Again, let that be between you and the Lord. And so this is what Paul's saying. Now, we talk about this text, and it's kind of, when we we, uh, apply it broadly, 
Sometimes it's kind of challenging, but this is a great text to have in our mind when it comes to issues. Bring this text back to mind. I was talking to somebody after the first service who, who brought an issue to mind. It's like, when that issue comes to mind, walk through it in this text because this is a great text to walk through on an individual issue and really see what the Lord is saying in it. Lastly, he says, for who, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What an interesting statement. If God has not led you to change your conviction one way or the other, be faithful to it. Because if we're saying, ah, I'm just going to change because someone else did, or, you know, I probably just, you know, I, he says, don't do it. It's not from faith. It's sin. You're not obeying God. He wants us to obey God. Righteousness of God is what we're aiming for. And so we're aiming for the convictions that God has placed on us. Again, this highlights what Paul's been saying. Seek the Lord, have convictions one way or the other, and live by them. And so as we conclude, this is, in many ways, very practical. It's practical because we struggle as people with the tension of just judging motives and assuming this and assuming that, why someone's doing what they're doing. And so what do we do? We need to form prayerful convictions. If we're a person who goes, man, I haven't really prayed much or thought much about it, really any of these things or really anything, we need to start praying about that, seeking the Lord, study the word, and say, what are my convictions, God? What do you want me to do in this area? Because it matters, and it's important, and it's with us in the Lord. And if that's the case, then walk in that. Walk in that and learn and begin to pray and say, okay, Lord, what would you want me to do in this? And to, to do that, we, Paul says, keep them to ourselves. We don't have to flaunt them. Oftentimes, if we feel like we're having to flaunt that, it might be because we're trying to get other people's approval as opposed to recognizing God's uh, conviction in our hearts. But also, um, if, but also we, as we do that, if someone does ask, you say, okay, let me tell you where that is. It's in these categories. It's in the realm of conviction. Or it's in the realm of opinion. As I think about my family and my life, this is how I want to live. Uh, and we are able to share that, but with a recognition that others might have differing convictions. And so one, we have prayerful convictions. Two, we walk in love. We walk in sacrificial love, willing to sacrifice our liberties for the sake of others, for the sake of unity. God cares deeply about that. The scriptures over and over and over again in the New Testament talk about the unity that the body of Christ is supposed to seek, but it's in the midst of diversity. It's in the midst of very differing views on lots of different things. We walk in love. And then third, we pursue the higher thing. The kingdom values, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Walking in the righteousness that we have been called to walk. We're looking to have build up peace and mutual upbuilding with one another. And doing it with joy in the Holy Spirit. Because God himself has led us as individuals and as a community to, to uh, pursue the greater purposes of his unity in the body of Christ. So let's pray. Father, we, um, we thank you for this passage. And um, it's easy for us to think about how to apply that in the first century for a Jewish and Gentile audience. But Lord, we want to take this and to recognize in our own hearts and minds the ways in which we are quick to judge. We're quick to lay down a ruling about motive on the level of convictions. And so we want to hear what Paul has said and to, to no longer make that our primary posture towards convictions, but rather to be people who have prayerful convictions ourselves, 
to help us grow together as a community to find those prayerful convictions. And Lord, I so pray for us that we would um, be willing to walk in sacrificial love with a recognition that not only is our salvation purchased by Jesus who laid down his life for us, who sacrificed everything so that we could have life with you, but it's also the model for how we live in community. May we be ones who care deeply about the unity of the church and are willing to lay down our own liberties so that for the good of those in our church and our community. And lastly, Lord, I, I pray that you would give us a, a heart of, of focus for the things that your word tells us to focus on in this passage, righteousness, peace, and joy. And so now, as we prepare our hearts for communion, I want to invite us just for a moment of reflection. Maybe it's for us that today we, we recognize we need to be prayerful. To see where you, Lord, want to lead us in the realm of our convictions. And follow it and be obedient to it. Or maybe we need to recognize our our own tendency to, to judge others or uh, to not sacrifice our own liberties for the sake of others or to make secondary things the main thing. May we just focus on your righteousness, your, your uh, peace, and your joy. And so, Lord, we recognize in this moment of communion that we repent from the ways in which we have not sought the unity of the body of Christ with the importance that the word has given it. And we reflect and recognize that what Jesus has done for us has made us a new community in uh, the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we pray that we walk in that, that you would um, empower us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.